Hello everyone, welcome back to Around Serie A in 20 Days, the rock and roll podcast of the rock and roll book written by me, Michael Nimmel. I should probably add just now, there is very little actual talk about rock and roll in the book. I wouldn't like to get anyone in under false pretenses or be accused of false advertising. I hope you enjoy today's episode in which I go to visit Bologna. If you enjoy what you hear, as always, please either subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or my website, which is www.michaelnimmo.com. If you really like what you hear, you could rate and review the podcast as well, and that would be enormously appreciated. Of course, you can buy the book from my website as well, which would be what's more than enormously appreciated. I don't really know. Now I'm rambling. So, this is the podcast. This is me going to Bologna. Enjoy, and ciao, ciao. Red and black, left and right. My journey to watch Bologna. Match day three of my football-watching journey took me to Emilia-Romagna's Red Belt. Bologna, the city, has a reputation of being a bit red around the gills in a political sense, and in fact has the nickname of La Dota, La Grassa e La Fossa, the learned, the fat and the red. This comes from the fact that Bologna has the oldest university in the world, has some great food, and habitually votes for lefties, in politics, not southpaws. The match that drew me here was between Bologna and Hellas Verona. As someone commented to me in the days before, it was a meeting of the Reds and the Blacks. See, Verona have a reputation for being fairly right-wing. So a nice relaxing kickabout between communists and fascists. When I was organising my fixture list for this season, I thought to myself, what's the worst that could happen? Well, things didn't start particularly brightly. First, I got in the wrong train from Milan. I say wrong, but it was kind of right. Both my train and this train were going to Bologna, but my train should have arrived in 50 minutes and comfort. The train I took arrived in Bologna after a two and a something hour journey and was far from comfortable. The Italian word for comfortable is comodo, but this train was more commode than comodo. I half expected people to get on with livestock in cages. Added to this was the train inspector who, when inquiring after my ticket, informed me that I shouldn't be on this train. No shit, Sherlock, doesn't really translate well in Italian, so I tried to look apologetic while making a what-can-I-do gesture, and he humphed and tutted, but then disappeared never to return. I stewed in my own self-annoyance for a while, but then reasoning that there wasn't much to do about it now, tried to spot through the pre-dusk gloom and fog the lone equine inhabitants of the dozen or so towns we stopped in. By the time we got to Bologna, it was dark, wet, and I was a little peeved. My hotel was once again in the shady part of town, which was as fun to find as always. For those of you who have never been to Bologna, it's really very nice, and I'd recommend it. It's a bit of a university city, so there are lots of young people and a good atmosphere in the centre of town. Coming from Genoa, which is essentially a giant care home masquerading as an urban centre, This was as refreshing as the rain that ran down my back on the way to the hotel, but far more welcome. On this trip, I was strictly a football tourist though, so didn't venture in, but I have been before and it was most pleasant. That said, 
because of its geographical location, the summers are very hot and humid, and the winters are freezing, so not nice enough for my delicate soul to consider habitation. The Bolognese divide their sporting passion between football and basketball. There's only one team that kicks balls about, but two that throw them. They are Fortitudo and Virtus. A lot of the people I met at the game were going straight to watch Fortitudo play later on in the evening. They were described to me as being a bit shit, but the people's club, while Virtus are more of a Juventus, successful but not universally loved. I'll get to the football soon, but it surprised me to hear that there's an ultras group for Fortitudo, La Fossa dei Leoni. I'd never imagined that basketball, while being a fun and interesting sport, could get the blood going quite enough to warrant an ultras group. As Jim Morrison once opined, people are strange. So, I was here to watch Bologna play, but tell me about Bologna Football Club, I hear you will. Okay then. But first, a quick quiz for you hotshots. Bologna Football Club 1909 was founded in A. 1901, B. 1909, C. None of the above, or D. B. Well done! Give yourself a treat. Bologna haven't had any significant British players over the years, but in recent memory they've had Roberto Baggio, Il Divine Codino, the Divine Ponytail, and Marco Di Vaio, while Giuseppe Signore has laced up his reputedly child-sized boots and pulled on the Bologna strip. The city has also given birth to notable sons Ugo Bassi, Guglielmo Marconi, Vasco Rossi, Christian Vieri, and Head Polishing's most famous proponent, Pierluigi Colina. My principal contact in Bologna was Josie, and when asked about her favourite player through the years, she answered, Bologna is a good city to live in, and for this reason a lot of players have come here finished, but found a new lease of life, for example Baggio or Signori. Personally, I prefer players like Eraldo Pecci, who had an operation on his knee, but was up and playing two weeks later because of his passion for the strip. Another, who is maybe only a household name in Bologna, is Renato Villa, who came to us from a little team and then stopped Maradona in his tracks when he came to play us with Napoli. Those are my favourite types of players, the ones who fall over, get dirty and get straight back up again. They're here with giant hearts and they make me go crazy. When I was a child, Giacomo Bulgarelli was like a saint in my house. He and Enzo Pascuti were the kind of players who lived in the city and who you could bump into in restaurants. They were, and are, the souls of our supporters. Bologna play in the popular combination of red and blue, and since their foundation have been in Serie A most of the time. The last time they won the Scudetto was in 1964. The president of the time died three days before the final round of matches, and so the stadium takes his name, the Stadio Renato Dallara. That's where I was going, and more specifically, the Curva Andrea Costa, Bologna's ultra stand. Speaking of which, the previously name-checked Juzi took me under her wing with the forever ultras. A schoolteacher by day, but deep down always an ultra, she was lovely. She kept me company and explained the various activities that they participate in and what they stand for. I think that seeing the serious economic crisis that's sweeping across Italy in our city, the Ultras Group is the only resource or source of support that you can find. If you're a member of our group, you can get help in paying bills, 
finding work and other life essentials. Many people we've helped have had problems within their families like illness or bereavement and we've paid for the funerals for lots of people and we continue to remember them. In addition, people who have legal problems can receive help from us. In Italy, everyone has the right to appeal judgments, but to do this, you need money. These legal processes are really expensive and normally no one will help, just leaving you with your loneliness and pain. To say that I almost never got to the stadium would be an over-exaggeration, but I was delayed quite badly by some terrible directions. I had asked the Carabinieri, the military police, at the station how to get to the stadium, and it would seem he thought I meant the stadium in Milan, because he sent me on a wild goose chase in the opposite direction of the Dallara. Then, when I eventually arrived at the pub to meet some Bologna fans, there were loads of police. This is quite normal, they're always at matches huddled together and smoking, but the ones here, beyond the standard riot shield, baton and helmet, had gas masks. Hmm. At the time it seemed like an overreaction, because I only carry my gas mask with me when I intend to gas people and we were there to watch football. But a lot of the guys in the pub looked like pretty serious characters, and quite a few of them were carrying heavy plastic piping and planks of wood. The atmosphere was bubbling with a frisson of excitement or danger or maybe too much cocaine, and it didn't seem as if they were going to spontaneously start constructing things. Now, I am in no way a Danny Dyer, hooligans or top banter, having it large style chap. Violence scares me, and I generally try to avoid confrontation whenever possible, so this was all a little unnerving. It must be pointed out that none was aimed in my direction, but my otherness, i.e. not being from there and not having a known face, did worry me a touch. After about 15 minutes, the pub cleared out, and the guys all headed off to find themselves some Veronese, the guests for today's match. I relaxed a bit more, and Josie explained to me the layout of the stand in relation to the ultras groups. As always, there are a plethora of groups, but the two largest, or at the least most visible, seemed to be the Forever Ultras and the Freak Boys. When I asked her what it meant to her to be a fan of the team, she corrected me. I'm an Ultra, and I think that there's a difference between being a fan and an Ultra. Ultras are more than just fans. Normal fans can love a particular player, or betray the team by giving up going to see them when they're playing badly. Ultras are always there, even if you've just let in seven goals. An Ultra stays until the very end, giving all of their voice to the cause, and there's nothing that can keep them away from their team. So, being an Ultra is something more than being a fan. It's a foolish, over-the-top passion. Sometime later, the angry mob came back, and word spread that there had been a bit of bother with the police and some Verona supporters. As a result, the game was delayed by 20 minutes, but no one told the rain, which started almost exactly at 3 o'clock. Later on I would read that one of the visiting fans had been stabbed and a bus driver assaulted by them. In total, there were five people arrested, four visitors and one local. Of the visitors arrested, one of them had a warrant out on him for murder. Going to watch his team was either a dramatic demonstration of his dedication or stupidity. I know which one of the two I'd go for. Before the kickoff, 
there was to be a minute's silence for the victims of a recent boat disaster near Lampedusa, which the Verona fans took as a cue to sing and chant. More than 360 migrants had died when their ship caught fire and then sunk off the Italian island. Words alone cannot express just how despicable it is to start singing at the moment in which those poor people were being remembered, but I think you can imagine the revulsion I felt. As for the game itself, I can't tell you much. It finished 1-4. Bologna looked like they'd be in for a long, hard season, while Juani Turbe for Verona, despite his diminutive stature, seemed far too good to stay with them for long. The rain picked up in the second half, so we went under the concourse for a chat and a beer, which was much more civilised than standing in the pissing rain watching the home team lose. It was here that I discovered that Bologna's ultras have links with Motherwell. This all stems from a Motherwell fan who visited Bologna a few years ago and made friends with some of the locals. One of the guys showed me a photo of him and his son standing in front of the Motherwell train station sign as proof. When I asked him what he thought of Motherwell, he said, yeah, great. I looked confused, and he clarified that he was talking about the team and the fans. The place is shit, though, he added. He's not wrong, but it's a thoroughly bizarre connection. The atmosphere in the Corva Andrea Costa was fantastic. It's pretty small, and the attendance looked pretty low in the stadium as a whole, but my stand was packed, full of flags, forbidden, flares, illegal, and voices, raucous. As is standard, there were the guys who barely turned to watch the match, but instead spend their time screaming into loud hailers to lead the chants and songs. There's something about these guys with their passion and commitment that really interests me, but that said, a lot of them I recognised from the pub earlier, and so considered it prudent to not try and speak to them while they were at work. I was keen to know about Josie's first memories of the stadium, so while we were hiding from A. the rain and B. watching her team get gubbed, she told me, I was really young and my grandpa was a big fan of Bologna. He took me to the stadium on his bike and we came to the Corva Andrea Costa. I spent the whole match hanging onto the bars that separated the pitch from the stand. For the entire time I was spellbound, watching the game and hearing the fans chanting and banging drums behind me. I don't remember who we were playing, and I normally have difficulty remembering particular matches anyway, but I'll always remember the atmosphere. I can attest to that. Although relatively few in number compared to the total capacity of the stadium, the atmosphere during the game in and among the ultras was a thing to behold. It's quite difficult to explain to people who don't come to the stadia here in Italy, but something between the mix of the passion for the team and the general lawlessness inside the ground makes for an unbelievable atmosphere. A few years ago, a friend of mine from home came over to visit, and what struck him most about the stadium were the flags, banners, and above all, the pit between the pitch and the homestand. He even took a photo of it. I think he enjoyed the actual football too, but those were the things that stood out for him. At half-time there was a crossbar challenge where punters were invited onto the pitch to try and hit the crossbar from the edge of the penalty area. All harmless fun, and no one any good at it, but it was a little soured by some casual racism when one of the contestants was introduced by the man with the mic as, uh, it's written here that he's from Bologna, but maybe not, Eric Amaral Garcia. Jesus wept. 
The match fizzled out as the rain dampened everyone's spirits. And after, there wasn't much else to do except get a lift from Josie some of the way back to the station before she headed off to watch some basketball. By the time I got to the station, it was still chucking it down, so I took shelter in its entrance hall. In 1980, at the height of the Annie di Piombo, years of lead, a bomb exploded here in Bologna Centrale station, killing 85 people and wounding another 200. Members of a neo-fascist group were convicted of the attack, which would come to be known as the Bologna Massacre, along with three members of the secret military intelligence organisation. I had quite a while to wait, and I couldn't shake the unsettling feeling of hanging about in a place where such a horrendous thing had happened. When my train eventually arrived, I was happy to see it, and to leave those dark thoughts and Bologna's dark skies behind. <laughs>